Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 109, When Life Doesn't Go as Planned. Hey guys, welcome. I am your host, Lori Creek, and we are coming at you from Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I'm alongside my favorite licensed therapist and Argyle expert, my husband, Matt Creek. Hello. Hey, Matt. And we have our producer and the most professional radio voice among us, producer Steve. Good to be here. Glad to have you. <laughs> and today we are going to be engaging something all of us face, what to do when life honestly is just disappointing. <laughs> it doesn't go the way you thought it would. For me, this kind of characterizes when I like look left or right to people who are in my same sort of sphere. And I'm like, why are they doing so much better than I am with whatever <laughs> sort of gauge in my mind is better? But what can we do to help guide us on this path of walking well in the midst of disappointment is author and speaker Sheridan Voise. Welcome, Sheridan. Hi, Laurie, Matt, Steve. Really good to be with you. Thank you for your time. So glad to have you. Hey, you don't have our uh, very gorgeous West Michigan accent. Where are you calling us from? <laughs> and I love that accent, by the way. Oh, I, no. I actually get to spend a bit of time in Grand Rapids every year. So <laughs> I have to say I love the accent. Uh, uh, no, my accent is made up from a, a variety of things. Um, firstly, I was born in Australia, but I was born to British parents. Okay. So I don't have, you know, a really Australian accent, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't have, you know, a, a plush, you know, pommy accent either. In fact, when I was going through primary school, uh, they used to beat me up in, in <sighs> primary school for being what they called a pommy because I had a really British accent at the time. Oh, and then, goodness. of course, all these years later, I moved to the United Kingdom. And would you believe it? They think I'm South African. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. See, which is just unfair. It is. We should have you back if we ever do another core need series on belonging. And so I'm, I'm sure there's some wounding we could dig up and heal right on this podcast. <laughs> but I bet, I bet you could. <laughs> well, guys, if you uh, don't know Sheridan, he, he's new to me, but I'm so grateful I came across his work. But he is a writer, speaker, and broadcaster on faith and spirituality. And he's the author of seven books. The latest being the one that we're going to be talking about today, the making of us, who we can become when life doesn't go as planned. Sheridan has been featured in numerous TV platforms, including BBC Breakfast, BBC News, Day of Discovery, and 100 Huntley Street. And he writes for the globally popular devotional, Our Daily Bread, ODB. That's right here <laughs> in Grand Rapids. I've written for them sure as is. well. Yep. And he's a regular contributor to faith programs on BBC Radio 2 and other radio networks and speaks at conferences and events around the world. Beyond this, Sheridan is a husband to Marin, a walking buddy to his dog Rupert, a lover of soul and funk, what up, and a pilgrim in search of wisdom and wonder. Oh man, Sheridan, there's so many questions that I have, uh, but we're gonna just start with the question of the week from last week, which is, what is your spiritual gift or gifts? Not to be confused with GIFs or GIFs, which are the funny moving memes, <laughs> but what are your spiritual gifts and, and how does uh, God use you with what he's given you to build up the church? Yeah, okay. Great question. Um, you know, I years ago did some of those spiritual gifts tests and I have been really consistent for all of these 
25, 30 years of being a Christian. Uh, and I see that the two main lists of gifts that you see in the New Testament, are the first Corinthians 12 and 14 lists, and the Romans 12 lists are, are kind of complementary, but slightly different. So the first Corinthians 12 lists tend to be the more miraculous gifts. They, they tend to come and go. God might give you a gift of healing for somebody, or maybe a word of wisdom, or a, a gift of prophecy, or whatever, for that person. The Romans 12 lists seem to be the gifts that seem to be innately given to you by the Spirit once you become a Christian. Hmm. They seem to be a little bit more consistent. So the, the two gifts that I draw from that list, uh, number one, encouragement. And number two is teaching. So as soon as I became a Christian, I just had this hunger and desire and interest to actually communicate to people. Now, this is significant because I actually was an only child for the first 12 and a half, 13 years of my life. My my happy place was not in front of a stage, in front of people. Uh, it was to be behind the scenes. It was to be a quiet person. It was not to in any way be uh, in some sort of public role. So the very fact that I'm now communicated by, by heart, by passion, by training mm. is very much the work of God in my life. And the gift of encouragement has turned out to be one that I just can't get away from. In fact, when I first started speaking and first started preaching, I remember this time I, I spoke in my church and I think I'd just been listening to Tony Campolo tapes or something at the time. And I thought the, the best gift possible was to be a radical prophet and, you know, to, to call the people to repentance and to stir them up. And, and I gave this message and I was expecting that at the end of the message, people would be crying out with weeping and gnashing of teeth and they would be saying, what must we do to be saved? And you know what they did? Uh -oh. They came up to me afterwards and they said, that was so encouraging. And it, was, it was the last thing that I wanted to hear. But it turns out that the gift of encouragement is incredibly important in the body of Christ, yeah. in the uh, wider work that we have in the world, because people need to have a sense of courage being given into them, being birthed into them by the Holy Spirit. And so that's those would be the two gifts that I've seen operate more in my life. Man, mm. we can already like affirm the mm. encouragement one because before we, we pushed record, you were exhorting and encouraging us in, in the ministry God has given us. So, man, thank you. And you're right. Well, you deserve it. You're doing some amazing work and I can't help but point that out. Praise mm. the Lord. Well, and, and you have to be an encourager to, to enjoy the West Michigan accent. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's not true. Uh, come on, Matt. We, you've, you've listened to shame talks that no, we've done on here. I know. I know. But we, I, I'm with you, babe. Our yeah, accent is it's, it's not, not my favorite. It's not the top tier of the list for me, but <laughs> to, to each his own. Uh, Matt, how about you? Which listener stood out to you? Yeah, I was a, a really big fan of what Amy from Facebook had to say. I'm not sure what spiritual gift I have, but I'm in the process of discerning that with friends in my church. A couple of people in my life have told me they think I have the gift of wisdom. I grew up in a context that mostly ignored spiritual gifts and the Holy Spirit, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And really only in the past year and a half, as I'm in seminary now in a different church, have I moved into a context and a place in my relationship with God where I'm finally exploring this. It's really exciting. God is always bigger, always more. Cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think I resonated with that just because I, it took me a while to, to even like think about spiritual gifts and and I, and the one of the ones that I feel like I have that I've been told that I have is wisdom, which I use in counseling pretty much daily. 
Mm. Um, but then to, well, Sheridan, you're kind of bringing up Romans 12 as these more consistent gifts. And I'm thinking about it. And I actually also think, man, I love to teach. Yeah. Like when I counsel people, I have like a whiteboard that sits on my, on my coffee table <laughs> right in between us. And it's like constantly there's some, some sort of teaching happening. And so I think teaching yeah. would probably be one of my other gifts. And thank you for calling me a nerd. I, <laughs> I love it. I know. I'm very happy about it. <laughs> and it's one of my favorite things about you is you are so gifted, Matt, at taking complex issues and like putting a metaphor to them. And like, anyway, that's a huge reason we started this podcast. So I was like, Matt, God's doing something in this guy. Let's let's start a podcast to talk about it. Wow, that is that is so the gift of teaching in operation. If that's what you've just described of him in yep. your day to day lives together, yes. that is so the gift of teaching. So oh, embrace that gift and yeah, give it to us because we need it. Well, thank you for that yeah. encouragement. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness, we're like just doing the body of Christ right now. It's so good. All right, Steve, bring it on, bring it home, man. Okay, I really liked this comment. It was from Michelle, and she simply said, mine is encouragement, shepherding, and prophecy. Interesting mix, I suppose. I read that, and I wanted to hear more yeah. uh, just because of that uh, mix. But I relate to uh, the encouragement part, uh, like you, Sheridan, um, from Romans 12. I just really gravitate toward exhortation. Um, and my wife has told me in some of... Um, the people who listen to me on the radio have told me there's it's your voice. There's just something about your voice mm. that is like soothing. It's calming. It's encouraging just to even listen to you. And um, that's something that like I can't take any credit for, you yeah. know, like God just gifts you like I think it's appropriate. that We call them gifts because yes. you don't really have much to do with it other than how you steward it, I guess, mm. you know. But yeah. um, I think in in one on one interactions with people, there's more the coaching aspect that comes through in that exhortation. So again, like as I surrender it to the Lord, he really comes and provides the words a lot of times that people need to hear just through me. So, mm -hmm. yeah. My dad taught all of us 12 kids about uh, motivational spiritual gifts. Yeah. And so that Romans 12 that we've all been referring to, um, he just said, like, God gives you one of those and you can do your asked to be, you know, do the other parts like teach and serve, et cetera. But that's your motivation. And mm. uh, so I can resonate with what you guys are saying. I see in my own life, just the motivational gift of mercy. Even And like, I grieve for people that are caught and are lost and are in the dark. And so my teaching comes out of this grief and this desire to be with people and to, to set them free. But I really liked this response from Jennifer on Facebook, which, guys, if you want to respond to our question of the week, you can find me, Lori Krieg, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We also have a podcast page on Facebook that you can just search for it and you can find us there and um, answer a few questions. It's a closed group, uh, but you can answer the question of the week there. So Jennifer said shepherding. Even as an introvert, I've always been one who's loved to gather people together in the journey with and toward Jesus. I never expected it would translate into being an actual pastor, but it has, and I love it. Secondarily, gifts of knowledge and teaching are pretty useful in this role. And so I just hear it's again, it's gifting, like just she's an introvert. And so probably it sounds like her default would be to not shepherd and teach and come alongside, but she's doing it, which is so interesting when God gifts you. It <laughs> you can do it. Like if you're infused mm -hmm. by the Holy spirit, he gives you the ability, no matter your personality trait or your introvert, it's just, it's motivated by the spirit and it gives you joy and energy and really benefits others. 
Oh, man. Well, Sheridan, um, you're already building up the church here just in the question of the week. Grateful for that. <laughs> so let's just keep going as we begin to engage some of this uh, just disappointment of life and how, how can we move forward there? So you've listened to the podcast at least a few times. And so, you know, this next set of questions that are coming at you, which is if the gospel is I am more loved than I can imagine and yet more sinful than I believe. When was that gospel first good news for you? And how is it still? Yeah, it's such a good question, because um, I think that is the daily discovery that each of us has to make over the years. Um, I first heard the gospel when I was dragged along to church, <laughs> when my, 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 uh, look, my spiritual background is really interesting. My parents were Jehovah's Witnesses. Oh, wow. My mum, she was a missionary in Peru with the JWs. Mm. Um, my dad was a pioneer, so it's a local area missionary in London. Um, they got together, they got married, um, they had been in the Witnesses together for about 30 and 40 years, went through a big decade of doubt trying to work out just what the truth was. They were in it long enough to see the contradictions that started to come through the Watchtower organization. And yet they'd given their lives to this. Wow. But they also knew that if they were to question, they would be kicked out. And if they were to question and be kicked out, they would then lose their entire network of friends. In fact, my mum had already lost her family as a result of becoming a Jehovah's Witness. So you can imagine the cost there was going to be in coming out. Yeah. Long story short, they discovered that Jesus wasn't the Archangel Michael in disguise. He actually was the second person of the Trinity incarnate. Completely changed mum's life. Took dad another three months or so really to be become uh, comfortable in recognizing that the Trinity was a theological reality because they had been taught for decades that this was the work of Satan, this teaching. This was a doctrine of demons. But then both of them came to faith fully and that changed their life. And that happened just as I was trying to seek my own significance and security in the things of the world. I was trying to find that in nightclubs as a nightclub DJ. I then see the change in them. My little brother is then involved in church activities. They drag me along to church to support him. I start to hear the gospel. I finally make a commitment. I have to say, though, it was on the most rudimentary understanding of what the gospel was, the basics. Obviously, I'm a sinner. Jesus died for me. Now, if I believe in him, I don't go to hell. I go to heaven. Yeah. As you and I both know, there is so much more to the gospel than that. And so it has become this glorious gift that I've been able to spend the last 25 odd years unpacking to recognize oh, the gospel is just so huge and it impacts every aspect of my very DNA and not just my DNA, but yours, not just yours, but ours, not just ours, but the whole world's one day, the whole earth that is groaning will one be they be transformed by this gospel uh, of Jesus being the king who's come back to take his people back to the point of dying for their sins and rising again to new life. When was there one time that that really became precious? I don't know if there is one time it has become this gift that I've just continued to unwrap and become more and more immersed in and more and more amazed at, I think, day in, day out. Mm, so good. 
And really you just answered both parts, like you're just still in need and and yet it became beautiful over time. And, um, you know, you wrote a book, which we referred to, it's called The Making of Us, Who We Become When Life Doesn't Go As Planned. And it's not your first book, but it's it's super, it was interesting to me just reading this one, how you weave the processing, like the writing of your book previous book called Resurrection Year into it. I just was like, as an author ourselves, like we're, we're writing our first like official published book. And so anyway, I thought that was interesting, yes. but you start making of us unpacking some of the pain of the previous book in that season of your life. What, what is that pain? Yeah. Okay. So Resurrection Year is uh, a book that tells the story of Marin, my wife and I, going through a decade trying to start a family and not being able to. And guys, you mentioned, you, you think about it, we pretty much tried it. Everything that we felt comfortable ethically doing to yeah. try and start our family, we tried it. Uh, so we started off with special diets and special supplements. Um, we tried chiropractic <laughs> to this day. I do not know why, but somebody <laughs> said that might help us to conceive. So we tried that. Um, the problem was on my side. And so because of that, I was taking special supplements and high doses of zinc and everything to try and rectify the problem. We tried healing prayer because we're committed Christians. We believe in a God who does miracles. Yeah. Uh, we tried IVF for the first time in 2006, had all of our friends and family praying wasn't mm. to be. Mm. We then explored adoption. We started looking at overseas adoption at first. We were then told by a social worker that we probably would have more luck uh, to get a child if we were to go local adoption. So we were still living in Sydney in Australia at that stage. So we went with the local adoption program. We went through eight months of assessment. We waited for two years for the phone call to come, to come and collect our child. The phone call never came. Mm. By that stage, we were now several years into this journey and Merrin was just in a mess. Ugh. Her faith was upside down. Um, she was emotionally torn. Proverbs 13.12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we discovered just how true that actually is, is when you hope for something and it doesn't come. And particularly you think about trying for a child, right? Every month there is expectation mm -hmm. followed by disappointment mm -hmm. and expectation followed by disappointment expectation followed by disappointment. And now that's the first three or four months for many couples. And of, often after that, expectation is met with excitement. But for us, it just kept on going month after month after month, and then year after year after year, that picks away at your very being. <sighs> we then went and did as many rounds of IVF, we thought, as it would take to get our dreamt of child. This is then throughout 2010, 10 years after we had originally started trying. And would you believe it? At the very end of 2010, we had one embryo left to transfer from the last round of IVF. By this stage, we had already had the discussion and said, you know what, we've given this 10 years. If this embryo doesn't result in a viable pregnancy, I think we need to move on as a childless couple. We have tried everything that yeah. we feel comfortable trying. And would you believe it, on that embryo, we received news that we just had pretty much given up <laughs> wanting to hear. Mm -hmm. And that was that we were pregnant. 
and there was jubilation amongst our family and friends who had walked with us for a decade and they said we can't believe it at the 11th hour finally God has come through and he's given you a miracle and then on Christmas Eve of 2010 we had another phone call from the IVF clinic and they said we are so sorry but you're not pregnant and, and with that Merrin put the phone down walked into our bedroom curled up in a fetal position on our bed and that's where the dream ended Mm. So Resurrection Year is the story of how we started again after that moment. So that's the first chapter. And our story includes moving countries and coming to the United Kingdom. That was really a consolation prize for Marin after all that time. She wasn't going to be able to become the person she dreamt of becoming, which was a mum. The only other thing she'd really wanted to do with her life, apart from that, was to live and work overseas. And so when she was offered a job at Oxford University, which is where you're all supposed to say, ooh, because it's, yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty good gig to get. Yeah, right? for real. So we saw that as God's opportunity to come and uh, start our lives again. The only downside to that was the fact that things were going very well for me in Sydney. I had a national radio show out of Sydney. Uh, I had book contracts. I had speaking opportunities. I was being asked to go and address members and senators at Australian Parliament House. Those kinds of opportunities. I knew that if I let that go in Australia and came to a new country, I would start again. And that's indeed what happened. And so I came to the UK. It was a wonderful promised land after the wilderness for Marin. And for me, it was a whole new wilderness after the wilderness for me. And I found that I was asking the big questions all over again. Who are you, Sheridan? What do you want this earth to do? That had been clear to me for 15 years beforehand. And now I had to pretty much start again when we came here to the UK. Mm. Okay, this isn't on my lit radar of questions that I had sent you, but this just came to my mind. I'm asking the Lord. I'm like, yeah, we need to say something about that. So just with uh, Matt and I writing this, our marriage book, and now I'm like obsessed with metaphor. I see it everywhere. And so specifically with having kids, I'm like, oh my word, that's the discipleship metaphor. Like just that there's people who are listening right now who might be praying for XYZ lost son, daughter, friend, spouse who are lost and they want to see the new birth in them. They want to see new life. And you just unfolded this beautiful story of your own new life, of your parents, of yourself, and of this longing for someone. Could you just take a second and look at the audience members or audience who, who are grieving and praying for their own uh, birth, a new birth in someone. Could you just talk to him for a second? Well, I'm going to say two things. Firstly, I will not give you cliches. Yes. Uh, what Marin and I have discovered is that sometimes when you are in that very moment and you are hungering for that, and it might be years that you're actually going through that season as it was for us, the last thing you want somebody to do is come along and give you seven-step happiness formulas and <laughs> say, you know, we're going to you know, click our heels and we're going to pray and suddenly it's all going to be fine because, you know, Jesus is the wonderful self-help guru that we always want him to be. And he <laughs> smiles at us with uh, pearly white teeth and everything, all, all our problems go away. No, actually, this can be an incredibly difficult season. What I would like to do, though, secondly, is to say that this very darkness that you're going through and you're waiting and you're hungering and you're hoping for that new beginning, that new birth, 
God can actually be doing things in you right now under the surface without you even realizing it. They're actually all part of him making you who you're called to be. Uh, There's a little retreat center just up the road from here. And I went went up there one day and uh, was just having a quiet retreat and realized, you know what? I need to talk to somebody rather than just have a, a, a time of solitude. So I ended up speaking to this guy named Liam and he and I had this conversation and I started telling him about where I was at, that I didn't know whether I was called to do radio work anymore. Uh, I didn't know whether I was called to write any books or, or whatever it was, all the things that I'd been doing these last 15 years. And he started uh, asking me about other aspects of my life. How was my marriage? And uh, to be honest, I didn't want to talk about my marriage. I wanted to talk about my calling in life. Anyway, he kept on probing about these other areas. And then he started asking me about what kind of fruit we'd started to see from the lack of children in our life. And the funny thing was that actually it had caused us to be people who somehow now had an extra grace to give to Mm. people who had gone through their own broken dreams. And when I say grace, I actually really mean that in the full theological sense, not just simply that we had nice feelings towards people or empathy. That's good. No, somehow we had some sort of gift to give people through those times. And he'd listened to these stories and these experiences and these conversations that I was then passing on to him. And then people were walking away and somehow were able to find their new beginning. And he said, Sheridan, can you see what's happening? The lack of a birth in your life is resulting in the birth of life in others. Yes. Now, that just floored me. And it's turned out to kind of open up my mind into the scriptures. The Apostle Paul talked about the difficult time that he and the other apostles had had when uh, they were getting the gospel out there. And, And he says in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, death was at work in us but life was at work in you. And I think there's an echo of both those things together is that what we went, our lack was resulting in the birth of life in others, just like Paul's darkness and the the horrible depths of despair that he was going through with the persecution was somehow opening up a space that turned out to be a channel that the Holy Spirit uses to to flow through our lives and to give other people new life. That's what I've discovered. And that's what we've seen through the Resurrection Year book and now through the making of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not just even through the books, you know, as wonderful as it is to write about this, but actually the conversations and uh, opportunities to speak, funnily enough, that have actually now opened up around the world, is that we have something completely different to give people. And whenever I speak on these these things, lives change in a way that they never did before. Mm-hmm. That is the grace of God flowing through the emptiness in our life to give people new life. Amen. I just want to like do a lap and jump around because I'm like, yes. And I I see, uh, you know, what stood out like when you started studying our ministry and are specifically are talking about core needs, which guys, if you're new listeners to this podcast, just look up the core needs series and you'll understand a little bit more. But it's essentially taking our emptiness, this God shaped hole in our heart and giving it to the Lord to fill and to ongoing do that. Open your hands up and he fills it and he it's it's, it's his kingdom. It's his world. And when we open up our emptiness and he fills it, it's it's exactly, is it first, Second Corinthians 12? It's where we're Se- Second Corinthians 4. Or four. Well, and 12. Like where I'm weak, he's strong. My grace is sufficient oh, for yes. you. Oh, yes. Of course, yes. Yep. Okay. 
Thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for prompting that question, because I'm like, yes, get it. (laughs) But let's dive into your book. Um, It it begins kind of in this somber, somewhat maybe depressed state where unmet expectations could be the theme. And that seems to be kind of the tone in in our Western world, at least right now, just kind of sad. Like, it just kind of feels like maybe especially our generation is just like... Uh, like I thought it was good. life was going to be X, but it's like Q. <laughs> Are you sensing that sort of tone? Oh, there's a lot of disappointment. There's a lot of sadness. If you listen to any of the songs on your playlist that are coming out of, uh, the, kind of the, some of the biggest mainstream names, there is often a sense of sadness. There is uh, a sense of lostness that we have lost something. And I think that speaks directly to your core needs concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, it speaks directly to the gospel that we have lost that fundamental connection with our maker. But also I think it does reflect something of the very cultural moment we are in right now. Um, we've had decades of being sold uh, the good life and the good life being defined as the life that we make for ourselves, the the life that we self-define, the life that is full of our dreams coming true, um, a straight line life between where I am and where I want to be that is a direct kind of highway route. And then what happens is you get into life a little bit and you realize, actually, there are no straight lines in nature. It's all bend and kink and curve. And actually, mm. our lives start to get actually we go on a winding journey to get somewhere. And then we may in fact to start discover that the very place that we were aiming for wasn't the place we were supposed to aim for in the first place. Look, and this can happen for believers as much as it can for unbelievers as well. And I think there is a big shakeup happening amongst the evangelical world in this regard. Mm. And I think that we we need to ride this wave a little bit and see, you know, what God is doing with us um, to, to, to pull us back. Now, having said all of that, I also will say that I think that there is just something fundamentally human about this experience as well, and that it's part of being in a broken world, Um, not necessarily the fact that, you know, parts of the church have lost their way or anything. It's just simply part of being in a broken world that you will go through a period of time, maybe, maybe several, where you just ask those two big questions again, who am I? What am I doing here? Mm. Identity and purpose. I used to think that those two questions could be answered once and then put aside, that as we discovered our gifts, as we pursued the passions that maybe God had given us, uh, that we would be able to discover who we are and then go and do the mission that he called us to do. Now I'm discovering that actually there can be several times we re-ask those questions again. And each time, if we go through that process well, uh, he actually takes us to new steps and new parameters uh, and new places in our relationship with him and in our calling in the world um, that take us to some some really wonderful things and and get get to do the kind of work that we've just been talking about but those are two big questions and when you don't have answers to them anymore like i you say the making of us starts on this kind of somber note it does because i had had answers to those questions i was a writer speaker broadcaster and i was called to this particular radio program that i started in sydney in 2006 quickly became a national show and i'd lost those two things Mm. when i came to the uk Radio doors weren't opening, publishers were turning me down, nobody was asking me to speak at their conferences. 
Now, all of that I now can see was a healthy thing. But gosh, when you've built your life on a, a few key identities and they're taken away, that's when you discover how deep this idea that maybe, like me, you've preached about, written about, shared with your friends, this idea that we're a child of God, it's when you have the other identities taken away that you truly discover whether that truth has actually penetrated into the deepest depths of your being. And for me, I discovered it hadn't. That mm. That's why I was going through the crisis I was, is that my ultimate significance was still being found in those good but secondary identities. I am primarily a child of God, and if I can truly live out of that that wonderful, wonderful identity. I have all the significance and security and freedom and love that I need so that then when those crises come and those cherished identities that we have in our life get taken away, I've still got the anchor of my soul secure. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking of a another Tim Keller quote as we, you know, always quote him during our gospel question. But <laughs> and rightly so. Yeah, but just that, you know, we're all addicted to something, but you can tell when it's taken away. And so that's what you're alluding to. But you had some choices, you know, many, you know, run to addiction, you know, or just try harder, work harder, or, or just sit down and just cry about it for, I don't know, another a decade, you know, and just and, and it's not to negate grieving, not to negate the, the emotion behind it. But you chose to literally strap on your hiking boots. Why'd you do that? <laughs> yes. Well, this is a wonderful opportunity. Uh, I now live in a very beautiful part of the world. I mean, England has got some amazing beauty. Now, I've done a lot of time in the United States, and I know that there is nothing quite like the Allegheny Forest, and I love Michigan. I love where you guys are from. Mm -hmm. But there is some wonderful rugged beauty around the north of England. I'm actually in Oxford, so I'm in the south, but there's some wonderful beauty in the north. And I had this opportunity to do a pilgrimage from a little island in the north called Lindisfarne and uh, then do about a 116-mile walk down to Durham mm. uh, to, to see uh, something called the Lindisfarne Gospels. These Gospels were created in the 9th century. They are now so frail that they only come out of the British Library once every 10 years. Mm. And so they were on display at Durham University uh, for the first time in 10 years. And so it was a wonderful opportunity to go and see that and to take a, a pilgrimage through the the areas in which uh, the creators were doing their work. Uh, so the, the monks on the island of Lindisfarne and uh, some great missionaries like Cuthbert and Aidan and Bede and Hilda, all of those people lived along those lines where we were doing the pilgrimage. So I took a friend, my friend DJ joined me, and we went and spent eight days doing this pilgrimage. And during that time, I was going through these big questions and we were having these conversations as we went along. And really the making of us is the unraveling and the unwrapping, I guess, of that pilgrimage and the things that we experienced, the conversations we had, the questions we were asking about our lives, the things we were learning about God in the midst of it. There's something very precious about taking a long walk with a soul friend. Uh, you can find that there's a third person joining you who is Jesus himself, just uh, mm -hmm. like uh, we find with uh, the couple that are walking on their way to Emmaus in uh, Luke 24. You can find that he has joined you. He's joining the conversation. He's guiding the conversation. And some you know, important lessons for me came out. And really, that became the making of us. Mm -hmm. Matt? Well, I mean, I'm just 
kind of picturing the hike yeah and, and it sounds amazing and I, I don't know are there I guess you talk about this just realization that Jesus is walking with you um, and were there were there moments I guess where that realization kind of I guess came to the forefront of your of your conscious mind yeah I'm going to give you an honest answer the more and more the pilgrimage went on the harder and harder it was to actually feel God's presence with us because actually by that stage we had really bad blisters particularly DJ he had blisters the size of oh. biscuits that were covering his oh. feet <laughs> in fact the last chapter if you haven't yet gotten to it uh, Laurie you'll find the very last chapter there's a big crisis moment for DJ oh, no. which comes to those blisters but you know I had this profound experience at the beginning of that whole pilgrimage I took a few days out to have a retreat on Lindisfarne. Lindisfarne Island uh, is a tidal island. It, it floods twice a day, so you can only get onto it during a few hours a day. And so I stayed at this uh, little motel on the mainland uh, with the plan to then walk across the mudflats. It's called the Pilgrim's Way, these beautiful mirrored mudflats. If you can imagine mirrors going for miles uh, reflecting the amazing sky above you. Hmm. That uh, That is the Pilgrim's Way making your way over to Lindisfarne. Uh, so I made the way over, took me an hour and a half to walk across to the island, and then I had this time of retreat. I was worried about my life. I didn't know who I was, where I was going, what I was supposed to do. And I remember taking off my boots, getting down into the little room that I was staying in and uh, having this prayer time. Uh, I think probably two hours passed with me on my knees praying. Now, normally by that time for me, either I've gotten so tired, I've gotten up and gone back and you know, laid down on the bed or something, or God has met with me in some kind of special way. But after this long period of time, I still hadn't felt anything. And I was worried and my heart was like an Indian street. It was full of noise and cars and traffic and questions. And, and then in the midst of this, at the end of all that time, I heard these words. Just be present. Mm -hmm. Just be present before me, Sheridan. This is your first calling in life. Now, it wasn't an audible voice. It was heard with the ear of the heart, not the physical ear. But he had spoken to me in a very powerful way. And though those words and this is now some years since that pilgrimage happened and that moment happened. Those words have become so indelibly etched into my soul. Our very first calling in life is to be with him. Mm. It's to just have unhurried time with our God. It's to be walking with him, seeking his heart, listening for his voice. All the other things, all the gifts and everything we've talked about, all the callings, all the ministry, all the opportunities to serve people, that's all wonderful. And they're wonderful opportunities and they're privileged, privileged moments for us to be part of. They all come after this one central calling as we were meant to be with God. That, Matt, is my answer to your question. Mm -hmm. That is when uh, the presence of Jesus was made most manifest. Mm -hmm. How did that phrase and that theme that you said is still carrying with you, that you're still carrying, how did that impact your, your question of like, 
okay, God, here's this disappointment, this dream that I wanted. Because I'm just picturing the listener who's, well, listening and thinking, yeah, okay, be with God. But I also... When do I get to level up to marriage, you know, which is a, just a stu- stupid fat way that we measure <laughs> someone's okayness is your maturity levels up when you get married or when you have babies or when you do this or that. So, like, if someone's sitting there listening or doing what they're doing, listening, and they're hearing that, yeah, but I also want this, like, I hear you, but that's not the world standard. C- can you help me? Like, how, how did you mash? How did those connect? Yes. Well, it's still something that I wrestle with every day. In fact, just a week ago, I was feeling quite low because of more disappointment in ministry life. This, you know, some mm. things hadn't happened that I wanted to. And for me, what happens is I need to go back to that tent of meeting, <laughs> that inner sanctum, that special holy of holies. I need to go back to my little prayer chair in my spare room and have that time of just being with God. There is something about having an extended period of time. It might be you can set aside, maybe you've already got kids and you just can't do this, but maybe your husband or your wife can take the kids for half a day and you can just have a half day retreat yeah. of just, it's just you and God. Maybe you're not married and you have a little bit more flexibility in this area. You can take a day. It might be in a retreat center. It might just simply be like it is for me in our spare room because I've got a prayer chair set up there. And just have a day where it's just you and God. What I've found over time is that whenever those senses of disappointment then grow again, they tend to be solved, even if the problem hasn't been solved. The emotional impacts of them tend to be, maybe the best word is recalibrated in the presence of God. Yeah drawing away, just reading scripture, uh, just being present, just praying, just enjoying your status as a child of God with the Father. Sometimes you don't have to say a word. It's just simply being in God's presence. There's something about being in the presence of God that just, it shifts and puts these little things into place and reorganizes things. Mm. It doesn't mean that all your problems go away, but it does mean, and I truly can say this from conviction, it does mean you have an inner strength to be able to deal with them and an inner resilience that comes from the Holy Spirit that helps you to just recalibrate what is most important here. What's most important is that I'm walking with God and doing what he calls me to. Uh, and that may include marriage. It may not. It may include children like us. It may not. Uh, but it may be something completely different as well. That's the that's the key. I, I hope that makes sense for the listener because... Uh, it sounds. The last thing I want to do is give a cliche of "Oh, I just pray more about it." Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm talking. I'm talking about um, a a father-child relationship that recalibrates all of the big questions of life around that one relationship. Yeah. Well, and it, it, to me, it sounds like you're saying something that I say often in my counseling sessions with people when there is this sense of disappointment. There's a difference between hoping for something and being disappointed and putting your hope in something and being Mm -hmm. disappointed. And it sounds like by having this, yeah, this intimate connection with God, the father as, as being able to not to dismiss that disappointment or the, the feelings or the emotions that are there, but it's just, they, they happen in a way that's not devastating to your like very identity. You're saying hope in God. You can hope for something, but have your hope in God. Yeah. Would that be accurate, Sheridan? 
Yeah, I think that's a great way to to say it, Matt. Is that yes, you can you know you can hope for things, but you hope in, and that's that's again that's the deep well that you sink down into. That's where you can then bring up buckets mm. of significance and security and joy that aren't found in that thing that you're hoping for, which may or may not come. Mm. I think success is a great thing. I think having an opportunity to serve people and use our gifts is wonderful. And I get great joy out of that. I'm getting great joy out of this conversation now. Yeah, All of this, true. these are great gifts, right? They really are. But when we don't have, have them, we have to have something else that is the mainstay, main supply, main source of joy for us. And that has to be uh, through our relationship with God by the power of the Holy Spirit. It just has to be. And so for those who are listening and are thinking, oh, man, yeah, but the world doesn't measure okayness by your being with God. Like they measure it by success. They measure it by your friends and your, you know, your social standing or your marriage or your kids. And I just want to say to them, yeah, they do. But we are not citizens of this world. We are citizens of heaven. And and so to go back and reorient and again, yes, no cliches, but like it's it's not cliche if it's real. <laughs> if God is real in his presence is is limitless and his love is really does fill those empty spaces in our heart it's not cliche if it's real and so we we can go to the father and then we can be okay no matter our circumstances which i mean that's all over the gospels it's all over the whole bible yeah, it really is. And I'd also kind of throw something else in there. If somebody is saying, uh, well, the world always is you know, telling me this and telling me that, uh, I would say, well, who's got the microphone and why is the speaker so close to your ear? Ooh, snap. Like, is there, is there some sort of way in which um, it might be through social media exposure, which is a big one for me. I often have to have social media fasts because mm -hmm. I find that one area of life is the probably the prime source of, of uh, stirring up discontentment in my yep. life. Yep. In particular, Twitter. Secondary mm. is Facebook, but primary Twitter, uh, stirring up angst and disappointment and comparison. And so I have to have regular fasts from social media. But maybe there's some other voices that just are getting a little bit too much ear time. Uh, I would say then, who can you turn your ear towards instead? As a very practical measure, um, there might be some more encouraging friends that you have around you, and you need to spend a little bit more time with them just so you can get into that strong place. So good. Thank you for that. And thank you for even the concrete vulnerability. Like, this is the one I need to avoid more. Like, I think we need to have more of those conversations. So I appreciate that and echo it. Now, uh, toward the end of your journey, you come to Durham Cathedral. And I found it so interesting that what you speak as you're looking at this beautiful place is thank you. And as like I was reading that, I was like, oh, wow, the tone has been shifting in your book. But it really like... I don't know. I just, it went from like this minor key to the major. And when you said thank you, and I sensed just a lifting of the sorrow to joy, can you explain how gratitude and joy, even in the midst of ongoing disappointment, how do they factor into this whole disappointed life? You know, I think the thing about disappointment is it's very focused. We've got one particular thing, just like Matt was saying, something that we have hoped for, maybe even hoped in, and that one thing hasn't happened. For us, it was children. And then when we came to the UK, for me, it was then the professional opportunities that didn't seem to be happening. 
at every one moment of our lives, we're actually, we, we are being blessed with so many other gifts. And one of the great gifts that God gives us, I think, is an opportunity in the midst of that to have our eyes opened to see everything else that he's giving us that we haven't seen because we focused on this one thing. As I'm sitting in Durham Cathedral in that moment, I could thank God for a lot of things. If we hadn't moved to the UK, the source of all my problems, I wouldn't have had this amazing opportunity to have that pilgrimage. Mm. I wouldn't have had this amazing opportunity to sit in this 1,000-year-old cathedral and look up at one of the most amazing stained glass windows in the world, which celebrates Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, particularly his glorification. And surrounding him is the 12 apostles, and surrounding them is a great cloud of witnesses. I wouldn't have had the opportunity to have had that experience before the pilgrimage began with him whispering those precious words into me, into my heart. Uh, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to have had all that time with DJ for my friend and I to go so much deeper in our relationship together and our friendship together, to have some of the spurring, the questions that you, you'll read about in the book where he's kind of asking me things about this and, and that, and what does it mean to glorify God with your life? And we talk for for a little while about what regret might look like and what we might regret not attempting before our lives are over. That yielded all sorts of amazing possibilities and fruit. Uh, we have amazing conversations about how God has shaped us over our childhood years and our teenage years. So many things. I had my wife, Marin. Uh, I had a whole new country to explore. I didn't know it then, but I was going to be able to see all sorts of amazing fruit come from our lack of having children, the experience that would come as we've been talking about, that empty space being filled with the presence of God. All of those things are amazing gifts. Now, you're focusing your one life on that one thing that you haven't yet got. It might be the husband or the wife or the child or the dream career. At this one moment, you're also being showered with amazing gifts. Oh, it's an absolute privilege when God opens your eyes to see those things. So that's where I can actually say, yes, I could sit in that cathedral. And there was definitely a note of, of change, of tone, because he'd done something in me. And that's to see the uh, amazing blessings that he gives us all around us. That's so good. You then go on soon to write a creed. Could you... Kind of, could you share the why behind that and, and really what it is? And then would you just read it over us? Just because as I was reading, it, I was like, oh, this is so good. It's just it was like such a rich prayer for my soul. Oh, well, thank you for opening up space for it, because this is kind of the fruit of not just those eight days of pilgrimage, which they happened in 2013. I have spent the last five, six years unwrapping and unpacking that event and then pulling other learnings and readings and my own experiences into it to really kind of come to writing the making of us it's the hardest book i've ever written yeah. uh, would you believe it was it was a year overdue i've never handed so much as a high school assignment in late <laughs> and i handed in late so you guys if you actually have that struggle to get your marriage book in don't worry oh, there you. are some lovely gracious publishers out there who might give you more time than what you need <laughs> but i had I'd written 
I'd spent two years writing the book and I wanted to bring it to an end. And I went off to a little cafe here in Oxford and I thought, I, I have to gather all the key learnings, the key lessons, the key things I've discovered through writing the book, through that experience into something of a creed, something that I could read every day, something that could kind of guide me for the rest of my life on. And so these were the, uh, the words that I came up with. The hand that spins the galaxies brought me into being. The one who holds the stars has made me his own. I am God's child. My life is rich. My days are sacred. I am held by a love that's wider and higher than the farthest edges of this expanding universe. I am a pilgrim in this world, in search of wisdom and wonder. I will take new adventures and follow God into the unknown. What I achieve is not as important as the person I become. So I will seek to imitate the nail-pierced one. I will step in the direction of my strengths and talents. They are spirit-given tools for my God-given tasks. I will pay attention to my persistent aspirations. They could be the whispers of God. I will serve all I can and walk deeply with a few. I will aim for great things, but leave my legacy to God. The path is long and the terrain at times hard, still. I will not wish for another's life. I will take my place, play my part. Something important will be missed if I don't. For the hand that spins the galaxies wants me here. So good. Mm -hmm. You guys see that? Oh, man. Just yes and amen. Uh, guys, if you are interested in reading that, uh, we will connect you to Sheridan's uh, page as well as his book where you can find that beautiful creed and just the why and the how behind it as well as those conversations with his dear soul friend. I loved how you said that. But Sheridan, thanks for opening up your heart and soul with us today and really encouraging us on many levels. Oh, Laurie, Matt, Steve, I so appreciate this time. And, you know, it's just something really spe really precious to be able to talk to people who love God and actually have a, a deep heart for other people. That gift of mercy shines through, Laurie. Oh. So thank you for this time. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Oh, thank you so much. Hey, guys. We want to connect you to Sheridan and his work. So on the podcast episode notes, you will find his book, his books, uh, as well as his site and his socials. So you can reach out to him. And guys, you know, we want to hear from you. What do you think of the podcast? We, I think almost every day we're getting uh, emails from you all and with questions, with encouragement, and we read everyone and we try and respond as quickly as we can. But we love hearing from you what what you think and um, just how the podcast is ministering to you because this really is a ministry that we're doing. So if you want to reach out to us, you can reach out at podcast at com. And hey, if you do like it, feel free to give us the old five-star review on iTunes that helps other people find this podcast ministry and it just means a lot to us all right we have a question of the week for next week and it is what fact about the world like i don't know like the degrees we are away from the sun or the moon or whatever some sort of random fact about the world just makes you go oh, wow god he's real and amazing we want to hear that one because we like doing that Wow, God, he's amazing. So send it to podcast at lauriekrieg.com or find me on the socials. I'm asking those questions there and you can respond. Okay, guys, this was a good one and we are so thankful for you. So for all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast, we'll see you next week. Bye.